don't know what the lesson that the kids who are reading this book were supposed to learn in the 1920s or 50s about, like, if someone asks you to stay late and get locked in their store, do it and don't ask for money. Yeah, especially if changing clothes is involved. <laughs> Welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book. I'm Charles Wefso. Each episode, I'll sit down with writers, actors, and comedians to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. We'll kick back with a signature cocktail, solve a few mysteries, and participate in a little justified arson. This episode's drink was created by Jake Savas at Hudson Hill in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood. It's a modern twist on a classic War Days cocktail, and it'll get you tighter than one of Iola Morton's sweaters. This is the Hardy Boys Drink Book, episode number one, The Tower Treasure. Hey everyone, welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. With me today is actor, writer, all-around funny guy, Mike Marlowe, and we're going to talk about the Hardy Boys, Tower Treasure, which is the first book in the series. I am so honored. This is huge. So Mike, uh, talk to me a little bit about your experience with the Hardy Boys. Outside of reading a few of the Hardy Boys, the more modern Hardy Boys books, uh, when I was younger, I'm more familiar with the overall concept of the boy adventurer detective yeah, genre. Yeah. Frank and Joe Hardy are some classic idiot boy detectives. They have as much money as you can imagine. Their dad is a world-famous detective, which I've never... Mm-hmm. I, I actually wanted to ask about this. How many famous detectives can you name? That are real people? Real people. Mark Furman. Mark Furman. You got one. <laughs> that, uh, that's better than most people. I always wonder that anywhere Jessica Fletcher goes, people know who she is. People yeah. know who Columbo is. Mm-hmm. They've heard of them, famous. yeah. So apparently Fenton Hardy is one of those. Just a little brief overview of of the series. The Hardy Boys mysteries were written by Franklin W. Dixon. He is better known as the inventor of the Iron Lung. The first book in the series was published in 1927, and more stories came out sort of consistently until the 50s. In 1959, the books were heavily rewritten, mostly because they were really racist. And when people in the 1950s think that you're really racist, you have serious problems. That's a special... It's level of racism, of yeah. Racism. So we're going to be Jesus. using the 1959 versions of the books. They're shorter and they're more easily available. They're also, I mean, they're funny enough without so many references to Italians. Um, yeah. But they're sure, they're sure a lot. Uh, yeah, so I thought maybe we would just dive I right mean, into the book. Um, like the book does in its beginning. It does. It, it jumps right in to Frank and Joe Hardy about to be murdered. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Yeah. It's like a, that J.J. Abrams, I'm going to start in the most exciting part of the story, only there's no flashback. There's no or... flashback. No, it's just two boys on their motorcycle shouting exposition at each other at the top of their lungs, and then a man in what is clearly a red wig. I, I know that the book really tries to make us guess whether or not it's a red wig. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil that right at the beginning. Oh, yeah, there goes the tension. It's a red, red wig. wig. Yeah, the guy. so the guy almost runs him down. Later, they find a car. And don't put it together immediately. That it was the the same same car? car That nearly killed them? They wonder if it was the same car. Actually, I found this really interesting. One thing that was added in the revisions of the book is that they touch the hood of the car in this version to see if it's warm, which is apparently Mm. the most modern types of detective work that was available in the 50s, touching the hood of the car. So then they go to Chet's house and they find out that Chet's car has been stolen. Now let's talk a bit about Chet more. Chet. Oh, Chet. Yeah. He's a fat boy. Oh. Very that rotund. Is his, that's his defining characteristic. He is a food-loving boy. Talks a lot about food. And he has a sweet car. Yeah. Uh, 
which is why they're friends with him? I think so. They don't seem to have any other thing in common other than Chet's got a car. Yeah. And, and snacks. And snacks. He's, he's repeatedly and, uh, has snacks. And a little sister that Frank, I think, is... Yes. is uh, the boys are a bit of ladies' men. They date lots of girls. One of the girls they like. It is Frank, is, yeah. Is, is Chet's, Chet's little, sister. little sister. That's that's what friends are for. Yeah, exactly. That. Date the most. Keep in mind, this isn't like his main. It's very, very clear that she is just one of one many, many in a stable. But when you're a rich detective kid. Oh, yeah. You've got a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Nice sweaters, according yeah. to their illustrations. So they find out the car's been stolen. They take off on their motorcycles after the car thief. They have no weapons. Except for their courage. They have courage. Now, this scene that follows is a scene that I describe as being racist against both farmers and the deaf. Mm -hmm. They talked to some of the dumbest farmers in Bayport County, I, I, I would guess. They're also our first introduction to... Adults, yeah, the Hardy Boys? who are these hayseed, literally described as toothless, out of you know, you're really deliverancey. You dang old city boys driving your jalopies. Yeah, they get in a long mm-hmm. conversation about jalopies. And this is one of the scene. This is one of the bits though that does as kind of old fashioned as the book is. This is the thing that still connects today with those wacky teenagers and their new fandangle contraptions that we don't understand, which happens in this case to be a car. yeah, they're of no help. No. They go to the police station. One of the things I love is that they find out that there's also been a robbery at the ferry, the person who sells the tickets to the ferry. And there, because there were two crimes on the same day, it's very clear that they're connected. Yeah, in Bayport. It's a bit of a crime spree, mm-hmm. a holdup and a car theft all in one day. We meet Fenton Hardy, who is an actual detective and kind of a badass. Yeah. He's the only adult who's competent mm-hmm. at anything. Technically, he would be a private detective, wouldn't he? he? Yeah. Because he he doesn't work. He's not a license by the state or any sort of government authority. Later that he at one point was a uh, detective for the police, for the New Mm -hmm. York Police Department, which gives him access to all of their records at any time, which is a great setup, I think. Yeah. After Fenton gives them some clues, they, Fenton has a alphabetized list of all people who sell wigs in Bayport. Just around. So the boys go and check out a costume shop. I don't know if this scene stood out to you as much as I did when they go to the costume shop and the guy who runs the costume shop asks them to stay late. Yeah. And try on some costumes. <laughs> some, and, some harmless modeling. Yeah, you know, it's perfectly natural. Yeah. yeah. And he offers to pay the boys. And I love this because he says, you know, hey, boys, uh, if you want to stay and try on some costumes for me, I'll pay you. And they go, hey. You don't have to pay us. Are you kidding me? We'd be happy to. And he quickly locks the front door to the store. Makes it specific point yeah, to lock the door. Because the <laughs> they're closed. Closed now. And uh, he seems really excited about the whole thing. But then uh, the criminal shows up again, which mm-hmm. I never understood why he came back to the wig shop. Did you get that? Uh, he, well, I, later it says he has a thing for disguises. So oh, that's, that's his that's his he M.O. Went, he went back to buy disguises. Yeah. Anyway. He but of all the wig shops yeah. in Bayport, he went which, to that one. Yeah, there's several. several. How big is Bayport? I never there's like heard. three wig shops in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the criminal uh, spoils everything for the shopkeeper. Oh, that mystery almost became a a much different kind of story. <laughs> yeah. And and that chapter is called The Threat. 
I don't know what the lesson that the kids who were reading this book were supposed to learn in the 1920s or 50s about, mm-hmm. like, if someone asks you to stay late and get locked in their store, do it and don't ask for money. Yeah, especially uh, if changing clothes is involved. <laughs> so then, uh, let's see, Oscar Smuff, who is a uh, wannabe private What a great name. Yeah, he's the bumbling, he's the, the short, rotund idiot fenton hardy i kind of feel bad for him because he clearly is very much struggling to make ends meet mm-hmm. and, and no in a town with no crime yeah, and exactly. the country's best detective also happens to he live there that that's his market so anyway he tries to bribe the boys for uh you know no he tells them he knows where chet's car is mm-hmm. and he says you have to pay me 25 dollars to get it yeah. 25 dollars in 1950s money which is a lot of money for these mm-hmm. kids uh, it turns out that that's not Chad's car. No. Um, it was just a car. Just a car that was painted. I really like this. The boys decide we're going to spend an entire day looking for the car, which they make that their plan, but that's what they've been doing for mm-hmm. the last like two days. Yeah. But they decide they're going to do it by sundown because we're all very bored at this point with looking for Chad's car. Yeah. There has to be some sort of urgency because there really is. There's no. The whole, the prose of this book, it's sort of. The written version of the guy who works the tour of the off season days at Disneyland and he like does the jungle ride and it's 6 30 p.m. and he's got two and he's like, here's the hippo. Yep. Nope. Scary. Oh, now there's, oh, careful. Got to shoot the gun at the hippo looking for the car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no one is in any danger. And whenever anyone is in danger, they put themselves in danger. Like when, mm-hmm. when the guy shows up at Chet's house, when they're all having dinner and they're all having Welsh rabbit. Yeah. Do you know what Welsh rabbit is? Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it it's was. It's a specially cooked type of rabbit. I'm totally making that up. No, That's what I've always assumed. It doesn't have rabbit in it. No. I looked it up. Oh. It's a cheese dish. It's like bread with cheese on it. it shows um, what I know. Nothing. Yeah, and they make such a big deal about how Chet's going to make Welsh rabbit for everybody. In a book with very other little description yeah. of any, like the fact that even a food item is described that is, a big deal. yeah, that's like Hemingway level yeah. of detail. Yeah, so they, they decide, um, because there's no, um, other than him having a cool car and because Frank's banging his little sister, they have to find the car by side. Yeah, because where else is Frank going to bang his sister if not right, in exactly. Chet's car? Chet's car. Oh my God, you're right. That's terrible. They look for the car, but eventually their dad, Fenton, uh, just gets really tired of the whole thing and tells mm-hmm. them where to find the car. Yeah. Which was very suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. That after he's like, why don't you go look in Willow Grove? And they're like, which part? And he's like, the south end. And they, and that's where they find the car. Fenton. He's, he seems to, there's a couple times when he knows things that he should not know. Yeah. Is he that, I mean. And you're like, was he, is he a part of the theft? Is he just orchestrating this whole thing for something to do? Is he a retired <sighs> New York City Police Department detective who is also a small town criminal mastermind? Which would be, again, everything about Fenton. It's a much better series of books. Oh, yeah. That I would much rather read. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're reading this. So they find the car, they find Chet's car, and they get back to town to tell everybody, but nobody cares because there has been a theft. The Tower Mansion, which has never been mentioned mm-hmm. previously. No, no setup, no. no they setup. didn't even drive past it nope. and say, oh, there's no the Tower Mansion. The people who live there. No, yeah. all of a sudden there is a mansion mm-hmm. and it has been robbed. Yeah. And the two people who live there are one of those weird house of yes, like brother, sister, adult couples mm-hmm. where you're like, what's the relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Applegate heard her and Applegate <laughs> and his sister, Adelia, um, who are 
just weirdos. Like Hurd's yeah. whole thing is he likes stamps, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's it. yeah, and he's okay. he's a snobby rich guy who likes stamps, stamps, and that is the extent. I don't even think they describe his hair color or no, they don't describe <laughs> what kind of clothes he wears, what he does for a job. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you can assume what a man named Hurd Applegate, who lives in a tower, and, yeah, and does owns- sponsor wrestling teams and then go insane and shoot people. Yeah, that's that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot someone through the knee. So. Again, with no introduction up until this point, the boys now have a friend named Slim, Slim mm-hmm. Robertson. Yeah. And his dad works for Applegate, and he has been fired because Mr. Applegate gets off on firing dads. Um, He's a mean old Mr. Applegate. A mean old Mr. Applegate. So Slim's dad is fired because the day after the treasure was stolen, he paid off a $900 fine or, or debt, loan. Yeah. yeah. And they won't, no one will say why. I know that the boys, for no reason, decide that Mr. Robinson is innocent. For no reason. Because they know his, they Slim, know his son. The purity of yeah. Slim speaks for how he was raised. And no one who raised Slim Robertson but if I knew could no- steal. If I knew nothing about the Robertson family, Mr. Robinson did this. Yeah. I mean, he clearly did this. He mm-hmm. won't say how he paid off the debt. Yeah. And he got all this money. I mean, it's circumstantial, but it's really strong. (laughs) And the boys just decide. He had a key. How do they, when do they decide that the two cases were connected? They just decide it, right? Is it that they're in the same book? Yeah, it had to be. It's an offhand, if we don't have it marked down, but there's a line where he's just like, it has to be that same creep that almost ran us over and took Chet's car. Why? (laughs) They, They because our dad caught all the other criminals in town so oh, yeah, if there's right. like you said it's a spree oh yeah the cops arrest slim's dad uh the boys find the red wig in the jalopy because <laughs> the red wig was a big deal and everyone decides the cases are, sl- are connected then the cops let slim's dad go for no reason <laughs> they just decide to let him go slim drops out of school they offer a one thousand dollar reward for the mystery, and I like that because a thousand dollars at a time when we've already learned that twenty five dollars is really good yeah. extortion money. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's quite the hefty $1, reward. Thousand dollars for two teenage boys. So they find a bunch of clues. They say a bunch of shit like "yowie," and they get really excited about the clues they find. And then Fenton goes to New York, and Slim starts a career at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because really, yeah, the big stakes aren't that his dad was going to get arrested because they let him go, but he can't get work. Because everyone thinks his dad's a criminal, so yes. Yeah, Slim the is... big tension is that Slim has to drop out of school and go to the grocery store, mm-hmm. uh, work at the grocery store. Yeah, and then the boys join their dad in New York City, which is one of the ways you were talking about that we know that they're actually must be quite wealthy. Yeah, because they just take a day trip to on New a, York on a, City. Yeah, on a plane. Back when I assume they just had biplanes in 1927, yeah, and maybe planes. zeppelins. I don't know what a flight from Bayport to. Uh, to New York City was like, mm-hmm. but uh, and then they go see the Merchant of Venice. I don't know really what that was about. Yeah, um, yeah they, it's not one of those um, what you'd call illusion or story within a story. Or no, they just go to the. Merchant they don't have an epiphany or a revelation about the case while watching Shylock. It's just, yeah, well, no, we, it's, we it's, took in some culture. The Hardys enjoyed the performance of the Merchant of Venice with Mister Morley as Lancelot Gobo. And laughed hilariously at his comedy and gestures, which I really want to write in a theater review. Yeah. Be like, I laughed hilariously at his comedy and gestures. Cheers. This, when they're in New York City, is one of the absolute 
best examples of the Hardy Boys method of crime solving. Mm-hmm. They get access to all of the records of the New York Police Department because mm-hmm. Fenton Hardy was at one point. All through tracing the wig. Yeah, exactly. Because they traced the wig to the wig maker. Wig, to, wig to the wig maker. Then they went to New York. And a guy in New York specifically remembers, well, I made that red wig a year and a half ago. If you're going to commit crimes in your red wig, just buy one off the shelf. Don't use a custom made. It made me wonder if this was all pretend and Fenton Hardy had like gone into the shop beforehand and be like, my boys are going to come in here. If you could just tell them like a year and a half ago, you made a red wig. They're in the middle of a mystery. Uh, It's actually a double homicide. They don't know that. (laughs) I don't know. Just keeping them busy because they ruin my crime scenes. They go into the New York City Police Department. They start looking for the records. I'm going to read you a, a quote here. First came a rundown on any known New York criminals who used disguises. Of these men, the Hardys took the reports on the ones who were thin and of medium height. This is of everyone in New York. Next came a check by telephone on the whereabouts of these people. All could be accounted for as working some distance from Bayport at the time of the thefts, with one exception. I'll bet he's our man, Frank exclaimed. If only it was that easy. Did they cut out? And this process took six months. Six months at <laughs> least. Everyone in New York City in the 1950s who wears disguises during crime. Crime. Yeah. And does that count as just like any kind of yeah, like, like a, pantyhose over the head or, or mustaches and mm-hmm. wigs? And like, is that a separate thing on the report? Like this. This guy's fond of goofy disguises. <laughs> How do they know it's the right person if they're so fond of disguising themselves? Because he wore red wigs. But how is it in disguise? This thing. <laughs> he got caught with a red wig. So he went back to that well. Back in Bayport, uh, Frank and his girlfriend, Callie. So, yeah, so it's Frank and Callie Shaw. Yes. And then Joe oh. and Iola Morton. Those are the pairs. And then Chet is the fifth wheel yeah. with the wheels, I guess. Back in Bayport from New York City, Frank and Callie partake in some poverty tourism mm-hmm. and virtue signaling. And they go to Slim Robinson's or Robertson's house in the bad part of town where apparently shabbily dressed children play in the roadways. And they mostly just spend the whole time talking about how sad it would be to be poor. Yeah. If if the Hardys were modern millennial age young people, they would just be the constantly posting online about all the great charity and stuff they're doing yeah. to help people. We brought how- a whole roast ham to uh, Miss Robertson. OK. And also Slim's mom. Has a drug problem. Yeah. There are several situations in the book where she gets stressed out and faints, and then they revive her and give her some pills, and then she, like, apologizes for being unstable. I think she's just all hopped up. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a medication sort of, because it's an instant effect, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it seems like when the focus isn't on her, she tends to have an episode. So uh, I wonder if that's something to do with it. Uh, so... Yet her husband is still an honest man. He's an honest we man. Should... We all know that he's innocent mm-hmm. because for some reason. And the Hardy Boys said so, and it's their book. So oh, we, we right. can understand this. Their names are on the front. Yeah. Um, Fenton gets back from New York City, and he tells a badass story where he uh, like goes under disguise. He chases the thief who stole the car mm-hmm. uh, and stole the treasure. He wrestles him off of a moving train and puts him in the hospital on his deathbed. Yeah. 
This is incredible. And the story in, in what is this? Maybe a paragraph it's to perfect. relate. Yeah, that he tells. Where, it's almost the exact version you just related yeah. right now is what he says. And oh, all the action and the most exciting thing in the book happened a day ago. A day ago to their. <laughs> to <family>. me. <laughs> the point. So, uh, yeah. So he's about to. He's going to go back to New York City. He's going to try to get a confession from Red Jackley is the guy's Red name. Jackley, which it's, is a great crime a name. It's a guy, guy name. Red Jackley. It's like Jackal. He has the red wig. That's apparently his nickname because he wore... He red. wore the red wig and just... It's a bit now. now he got to go with it. He didn't switch up. So Oscar Smuff finds out about this and he's going to fly back to New York to be there for the confession, I guess. Mm-hmm. That would get him the reward somehow. Yeah. Anyway, he tells the boys exactly what time he's going to be on his plane. It's a quarter to six, because for some reason, detectives don't have to show up until right before the plane takes off. Well, this was them. before TSA, yeah, you know, right. when you just, like, showed up, had a drink with the pilot, and, and shout, off a, he went. I'm a detective, <laughs> and then get on the plane. So the boys have to cause a distraction to keep Smuff in town, I am not okay with what they come up with. No, this is this isn't a, a harmless. No, it's not a harmless prank. There's this guy Rocco who is clearly an immigrant. He's described as dark-eyed and swarthy-skinned. He has a grocery store in town. Yeah, hard-working store. immigrant business, you know, has come to America and made his fortune through toil. I mean, he has, came on a raft, presumably, or yeah. some kind of really hard luck hard, struggle yeah. story. It says that Oscar Smuff has already told him to go back to the old country, which is like, I don't no, know. Yeah. But the boys agree to watch the store so Rocco can go take a nap. And then they start a big fire. They just, yeah. They start a trash fire. <laughs> and Oscar Smuff puts it out. And then he says to the boys, you know, how careless Rocco started this fire and left. And the boys are like, yep. Sure did. Sure did. Somebody, and then he's like, I'm going to tell the chief of police. And they're like, well, you should. And we can presume Rocco's business was shut down yeah, and he was he, probably like, they beat the shit out of him. Ran him out of town. He was an Italian immigrant in the late, you know, 1930s trying to make it, but the boys don't care. Yeah. They just casually ruin a man's life and livelihood. But Oscar Smuff does not get on that plane. He doesn't get on his plane and, and also probably doesn't make rent this month because <laughs> he's done nothing to make any money. So Fenton gets a uh, confession out of the thief in New York City. I assume that he snuffs him out with a pillow as soon as he gets the emperor that he wants. So that's sort of how I imagine Fenton. Yeah, it, it is presented as he woke up and said, my treasure's in the tower. In the old tower. And then <sighs> didn't have a chance to say anything else. Yeah. So the boys decide the old tower must be the Applegate Mansion. They go to the tower, tell Mr. Applegate, we found out that the treasure's here. We want to look. Why doesn't Mr. Applegate just shut the door? Yeah. And then go look for the treasure. That that will save you $1,000 by not letting those children into your house. Lynn City lets them tear all over the house. At one point, Joe almost dies because he, like, falls off of a railing or something like that. It's, it's very quickly just kind of thrown in, and then Joe casually pitched over the side, and uh, he was okay. <laughs> and then the next chapter is like, he was fine. Uh, yeah, no danger for any. I don't even think it bruise. No. Was, yeah. So they go outside, they dig around, um, they find a buried chest, but it's just plants. Uh, they dig up some more plants. They decide to come back later at night, so it will be trespassing, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, they're told to leave. They come back, and they get cornered by a mean dog. Uh, which is the most danger they're in, mm-hmm. other than the car in the opening scene. 
they get cornered by a big dog and then they get away from it by someone coming and just being like, come here. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> just a series, ser- again, a series of fortunate events. Yeah. Just befall the Hardy well, boys at every turn. And keep in mind, yeah, in, in trying to find this treasure, they've ruined a man's livelihood. Yeah. They tore up these people who were already victims of a crime. They destroyed their garden. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, they, they sabotaged Oscar Smith, who was doing his job just, as a detective. You know, they really job. played dirty to help out their old man, who did throw a man off a moving train. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, wow. That would be a cool story to read. Yeah. But none of this, this is all kind of secondary. Yeah. It seems like this is happening in another story that this story is describing. The boys decide they're going to solve the mystery of the missing treasure by sundown. Again, an arbitrary deadline mm-hmm. because it's starting to get boring. So something, they go, something needs to happen for reasons. They found out that Red Jackley used to work on the railway. They go to just harass some railway workers in mm-hmm. the middle of their shift. They trick Smuff. And uh, I don't remember exactly what they do, but they ditch him somehow uh, and leave him stranded out at the train yard. And then they find that the treasure is in an old water tower uh, where they climb in and find the treasure. It's just there. Yeah, exactly. This is also a mild bit of peril that the water tower's a little old and rickety. Yeah, like they climb up it. It's fine. Then the real danger sets. Oh, the best character in the book. Right at the end. Yeah, just shows up like a phoenix to resurrect the stakes of this plot. Mr. Hobo Johnny. Hobo Johnny, probably offensively named, but he announces himself Mm -hmm. as Hobo Johnny. Yeah. And he shows up and says, I'm Hobo Johnny and all the stuff in this tower belongs to me, including you, and locks the door. And that is the end of Hobo Johnny. He's never referenced again. They don't get... Any kind of payback later, it doesn't come around. Just a crazy hobo wanders by and locks him in a tower that was full of money that he claimed to be his. So he just leaves. He vanishes. Yeah, he takes off. He's not like guarding it like a schizophrenic dragon with a treasure trove in his horde. I get that they're at the rail yards, but I thought hobos rode the rails. Don't I don't think they live in water towers sort of near the rails. I guess maybe it's like outposts but if, if that he, he claims identifies as a hobo mm-hmm. then we should probably respect that yeah i think so um, you know he's he's very comfortable with himself you know he could have taken you know he's so comfortable with that lifestyle he could have just taken all the treasure and money and become inexplicably wealthy johnny yeah exactly but instead <laughs> i mean because it was like forty thousand dollars yeah, worth of stuff bonds and jewels yeah um, so he really could have been set up i really yeah i didn't understand why he left i didn't understand why he wanted the two teenage boys Probably for the same reason that the shopkeeper wanted the two teenage mm-hmm. boys. Uh, or just for food. For food, sure. Yeah. I mean, he had all that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he just sort of leaves. Yeah. And they're locked in. And you'd think this is my other favorite thing about this scene and probably this book in general. Because when they get locked into the water tower, they happen to notice there's just a pile of crowbars. There's oh, there's a bunch of money and all the stuff and a pile of crowbars like is of, offhandedly mentioned. Yeah, some sort of like video game Bethesda style hoarding. Hobo Johnny is also a crowbar collector. Yes. So the big peril is they're locked in a room full of crowbars. <laughs> I can certainly think of worse scenarios to be in. Yeah. How will we ever get out of this room, Frank? And then they just grab a crowbar, crank the door open, and leave. The crowbars. So- Literally pick up 
all the treasure. <laughs> Carry it out. And even though it was earlier specified that it was really hard to get up and down the rickety ladder and one of the rungs broke. Oh, but yeah. yeah, they somehow just like, have all this yeah, and it's here. barely, it's very clear that it's enough for two of them have to work together to carry it and it's weight and like ladder. takes time and somehow they get it down the ladder. Luckily, Hobo Johnny is gone. Long it's... gone. We can presume Fenton later found him and killed him. Yeah. And didn't, he, he left that yeah. out. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like the middle of the night and Fenton uh, just yeah. showed up in his hobo camp and garroted yeah, him. And he like was dressed as a hobo first and he sat and he like offered him a flask and the guy's like, oh, thanks man. Where are you from? And he's like, I'm from here. And he's like, so, uh, I heard you trapped some boys in the water tower. And Hobo Johnny's like, huh, what? And he's like, yeah, those are my boys. And then it's Fenton and he pulls out his gun. Yeah. No, I think he's quiet. Fenton doesn't go loud. Yeah. He does it with his hands. He's, oh, yeah. He has that personal touch. Yeah. Yeah. He, oh, he, wa- he watches the light go out in his eyes. Like, so, um, after all that, after the death of Hobo Johnny and the boys escape, <laughs> um, they go, they get everyone in town at the Applegate Mansion to reveal what happened and to, and to present the treasure. And the cops bring Slim's dad from jail there. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen that on the first 48 of Forensic Spots, no. where the cops are like, oh, we found out who did it. Let's get the guy out of jail. No, no, he's going to stay in jail. We'll bring this information to court. Hopefully he'll get arraigned. Mm-hmm. Um, no, just, that sounds, hey, it's, you know, Fenton Hardy's kids. And yeah. all of it sounds, it, it really comes down to, well, we found it. Yeah, we found And it. a guy who wasn't slim told us where it was, so he couldn't have stole it. So the the boys get a thousand dollars and uh, It could also be that the police are just tired of the whole Hardy family by this oh, point and their no. shenanigans constantly just coming in with this stuff, solving really inconsequential minor theft cases. They were, they were playing cards yeah. when the Hardy boys showed up at mm-hmm. first. It was a really like a slow and very yeah. comfortable day for the police department. Most so. of the mysteries in the town are ones created by the Hardy that they the bring Hardys. to their attention yeah, that they're exactly. not that they important. Even have these mysteries yeah. if it wasn't for the Hardy boys. The boys get the $1,000 prize uh, mm-hmm. from Applegate. Here's one little thing that really made me angry. It turns out that that $900 that Slim's dad paid back mm-hmm. was from Adelia Applegate. She's like, oh, I gave him that money to pay yeah. back the loan. He went to jail. And she could have said, and the whole thing was like, so his other creditors don't find out where he got the money and that he has money to pay. So, Tell the cops. cops the that, cops will yeah. keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I wrote in my margins, uh, Adelia's a bitch. Yeah. Because their family had to move to the bad part of town. Slim got kicked out of school. Her, <laughs> his dad went to jail. His mom's got a drug problem all because Adelia Applegate didn't feel comfortable talking about her finances. Mm-hmm. Or possibly forgot. Just or didn't forgot. realize which one of her she many servants she gave the money to. One, one last little thing that irked me. The boys get the thousand dollars at the end. Slim's family is standing right there. They've been described as destitute the entire yeah. book. And the boys don't even think for a second about giving them the Not even 20 dinner. bucks. Yeah. Don't even buy him dinner. They don't get him anything. They're like, look, we cleared your dad. That's the best thousand dollars. That's <laughs> ours. Five hundred each. Yeah, I love that. I love that the that the boys gave nothing to the community. Yeah, no, the community should give to them because yeah, exactly. what would what would the town of Bayport be without the Hardy family and everything they bring? And that's that is the tower treasure. Wow. Um, is there anything else? Anything that that stuck out to you? That... Outside of Hobo Johnny in the room full of crowbars, <laughs> <I know. laughs> it is the it is the best trap. 
mm-hmm. uh, possible is a room full of crowbars. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. You're uh, very welcome. Come back and join us soon. Each episode, we have one of our favorite bartenders mix us up a signature cocktail to sip while we read. The drink recipe and pictures are available at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. Check them out and enjoy today's signature cocktail. My name is Jake Soffis. I'm the owner and proprietor of Hudson Hill in Denver's Capitol Hill. A nice little coffee shop by day, craft cocktail bar at night. So during the day, we have really nice locally roasted coffee that we do with pastries and other snacks. And we roll into a pretty expensive bar program in the evening that focuses on craft cocktails, but also has some fantastic wines, beers, and other fun libations and snacks to get you through the evening. So what kind of cocktail did you make for us today? So today we did a slight variation on the Wayman's cocktail, which is one of the uh, classics from the Savoy cocktail handbook. The Savoy cocktail book was published in the 1930s and really was just very iconic for the time. The Savoy was the first luxury hotel in London, England, and really set a lot of the taste for the time. This book, once again, was really an iconic text that you know bartenders today use to base a lot of recipes on and you know really just represented what people were drinking at the time the hardy boys text that we're looking at today uh was published in the late 1920s 1927 we're we're going to uh suppose that this is what the authors and, and readership was drinking at the time looking at the cocktail the war days cocktail was a nice boozy combination of gin calvados sweet vermouth and a little bit of chartreuse we did a little update to it with some apple brandy and a little bit of absinthe as well, just to sweeten it up a touch uh, for the Hardy Boys and, you know, with the absinthe, just to give it a little bit of herbaceousness and touch of mystery since we are getting into the uh, murder mystery genre with the Hardy Boys. So that is our variation of the Wardace cocktail here at Hudson Hill. All right. Thank you. Great. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Wefso. Our music is provided by Danny Overby. Special thanks to Mike Marlowe, Jake Soffis at Hudson Hill, Kristen Hallstrom, and Bunport Theater. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Hardy Boys Drinks or find us at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and join us next time for the mystery of the house on the cliff.